thinking of starting a podcast? Well, try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier Podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. No Corey tonight. So that means I am free to give my thoughts and rant on this last two-game stretch. This back and forth that we go through. This grind that we uh, that we endure during the regular season for the Cavs. The Cavs fresh off of a back-to-back versus the Los Angeles Clippers and the Los Angeles Lakers. Man, there's a lot of takeaways from these two games. Um, starting with the Lakers. Facing off against LeBron is always a tall task. It's always something that highly interests me just because, you know, although LeBron is no longer a Cleveland Cavalier, he did a lot for Cleveland, and it's still box office to see him face off against his old team. And you know that, you know, he never truly takes a night off whenever he's playing the Cavs. Uh, that's that's usually something that does not occur. And he always usually puts on a show. Uh, but with that being said, you know, let's go ahead and take a look at what happened in these last two outings. So first off, they got off to a rough start. Cavs got off to a rough start during uh, that Lakers game. The L.A. got off to a 7-0 start. Donovan Mitchell scored the first four points for the Cavs after drawing back-to-back fouls. And honestly, it's pretty awesome to have a player that can go out there and draw fouls on a nightly basis after the past few seasons of not really having anybody who could do that with any level of consistency. It's just one of those things that we we just haven't had in town for a while, and we have that in Mitchell. So I'm very, very thankful uh, that he's able to do that. And honestly, Mitchell was the Cavs' entire offense the first quarter in this one. After he scored 18 of the Cavs' uh, first 28 points in the opening frame, and uh, Cavs just seemed to lack aggressiveness early on in that one. And and you know that was just one of those things that is always seemingly to be apparent whenever they're playing LeBron. I don't know if it's that they're starstruck or something else, but usually that ends up being the case whenever LeBron comes to town or uh, the Cavs play in LA. And, you know, the funny thing is that while, you know, collectively the trio of Russ, LeBron, and AD are probably considered to be more collectively talented than any big three of the Cavs can trot out, the Caps are still by far deeper, and by virtue of that, they're a better overall team. And you know, there's there's a reason why this this Cavalier team was seven and one entering that matchup, and the Lakers were two and six. Definitely a reason for that. And you know, we, we've been able to see that over this 
start to the season. Um, that said, those three are still highly capable. And when I say that, I want to really highlight uh, Russ in particular. Russ played very well off the bench initially. Um, and really, he's played really well since they made that switch. I think that's just something that um, he needed to embrace. And I'm glad he's doing that. And he's never going to wow you, you know, from an efficiency standpoint. And uh, he's never going to put up really high efficient numbers, but he still gets his. And, you know, he did that, um, you know, to, to open that game with 12 points and uh, four assists in his first eight minutes in, in, in that game. Just absolutely ridiculous production from him. And he's good for that every now and then. Um, and, you know, to that effect, Isaac Okoro, in my opinion, should have entered in the first uh, to help cool off Russ, but it didn't enter the game until early in the second. And and I get that's kind of how the rotations have been shaken out as of late, but that that's just kind of how I feel. I, I felt that Isaac kind of should have been trotted out earlier in that one. Um, Jared and and Evan Mobley didn't really position themselves all that well when boxing out, and you know Karis LeVert already had a very tough matchup when facing off against LeBron James. That's just, that's just a tough matchup for anybody, let alone Karis LeVert. Uh, but even with all that, the Cavs still kept the game within reach at 58 to 64, uh, heading into the half, mostly off the backs of the collective efforts of the Cavs backcourt pairing of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, who combined to score 42 points in that first half. And and they really turned it on and went on an 11-0 run early in the third. And they used that run to shift the momentum and and really didn't look back at that one. And, you know, Karis LeVert's facilitation in the third quarter alone really stuck out to me. It's just one of those things that I was very happy to see him continue to bring, even though he's kind of playing that third, fourth fiddle uh, in the starting lineup with Darius Garland now healthy. And and the stat sheet won't show it, but he made several very slick and timely passes in that quarter, including one very beautiful feed while driving along the baseline uh, to Donovan Mitchell for a wide-open triple. And it's things like that that could render Levert, you know, invaluable in, in a part of the Cavs core moving forward if he continues that level of play. Um, the, the Cavs would go on to outscore the Lakers 29 to 16 in the third quarter and 51 to 28 overall in the second half. Very good defensive effort. Um they absolutely stifled the Lakers in that second half and put the proverbial clamps on them uh, to seal their eighth victory of the season and eighth win in a row. And that's something that that really made me feel good because I believe it was the Cavs' first victory over LeBron in 11 or so seasons. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I, I believe that to be the case. Um, and, and that's a big deal. I mean, for a Cleveland team that for so long was dependent upon one LeBron James to be competitive, um, just re- really happy to see. I mean, two LeBron rebuilds, uh, two post LeBron rebuilds, and now we're we're really in a good place where we don't have to worry about you know a talent like that. Uh, having to dictate everything that happens in Cleveland. And, and, and that that makes me genuinely happy because this team here that we have is just, you know, so, so deep, man. So, so very talented. And it just kind of seems like on any given night, any guy can go off. I mean, Donovan Mitchell obviously is your, your flamethrow microwave kind of scorer who can give you 30 plus a night. Darius Garland can do that as well. 
Um, and both of those guys can facilitate very well. You have Karis LeVert, who is a wild card within himself in regards to scoring, and he can facilitate as well. Evan Mobley, while still, you know, working on his offensive game, is still a hell of a matchup nightmare for a lot of defenders at his size, and he's excellent on the defensive end. And then Jared Allen is bread and butter, you know, as a, the pick and roll as a lob threat, starting to learn how to, you know, pick and pop, space the floor a little bit. That is just something that a lot of teams in the starting lineup are going to have a very tough time managing with defensively. Then you head to the bench. You know, you got guys like K-Love who can go off. Almost had a near triple-double the other night. You know, Jetty Osmond, who's a flamethrower. Uh, Dean Wade. Just just a lot of different names that you could throw out here that make you feel really good about the post-LeBron James era, which, which, is, which has a lot of people thinking, hey, we don't need LeBron. I don't care about a LeBron return. You know, that type of mindset, which is perfectly fine to have because in all honesty, no. Don't need LeBron. So it's just great to, to be able to say that for a franchise that had just been so dependent upon him, um, you know, year in and year out to no longer have to have that player on your roster to depend upon them. Just awesome sight. That being said, got to head into the, uh, <laughs> the downside here. Uh, obviously Cleveland was able to win its eighth in a row and pull out a victory over the Lakers, but then things took a little bit of a turn and that was against the Los Angeles Clippers on that second night of that back to back. Um, it was a game that really frustrated many people for a number of reasons, but mostly because of the play down the stretch, because the Cavs played a very good game from a defensive standpoint for the most part. And they, you know, although although all the shots weren't dropping, they played a very good game. And it was definitely a winnable game, something that they let slip away. Let's not mince words here. Definitely warranted in regards to the frustration and a lot of that really stems from the play of Darius Garland down the stretch I think Uh, a lot of people had a lot to say about whether or not uh, it should have been him or Donovan Mitchell conducting the offense uh, down the stretch but you know we kind of kind of take things with a grain of salt and I want people to keep in mind that this is a Cavaliers team all in all that has not had its full complement of starters in every single game, but for, I believe, three, four, three, four games. Darius Garland has not had the opportunity to gel for a long period of time with his backcourt running mate in Donovan Mitchell. And obviously you're seeing that. You're seeing this thing play out early in the season, which, mind you, is a good thing. But even with that said, Darius Garland is still highly capable of going out there and dictating the flow of a game. Uh, as you can see, man, the, the team started off hotter than expected, especially on the second leg of a back-to-back. Darius Garland in particular scored or assisted on seven of the Cavs' first nine baskets. And that should tell you a lot. He had absolutely full command of the Cavaliers' offense in a show. And that's why it was so damn frustrating to see how this game would eventually end, just because Darius Garland looked very, very good in the first, I would say, three quarters, first three quarters of the game, maybe even a little bit further than that. But he played a very good game um, despite the shooting numbers and the turnovers, um, five on the night. 
Very good game. Uh, more on DG in a bit. Uh, elsewhere, Evan Mobley got off to a hot start. He scored 12 of his 26 total points on the night in the opening frame, going six of eight in the process. And he was all over the place, man, on that end of the court and looked highly aggressive. That's that's one of the gripes that a lot of people have had with him in this early portion of the season is that oftentimes he hasn't looked to get his own shot. He hasn't looked to really get into the paint and, and draw some fouls, but on occasion – and he was kind of all over the place tonight, you know, in a good way. Um, he had some very, very uh, big time putbacks in in last night's game, which is very encouraging to see. And you want to see that out of a player like Okoro. And all in all, the Cavs total thirty seven points uh, in the first quarter to LA's thirty one, while the Clippers managed to shoot over forty two uh, fifty two point four percent from the field and fifty three point three percent from three point range in the first. The Cavs shot even better; <laughs> they shot sixty seven point seven percent from the field, including fifty five point six percent from range themselves, and that was a real big factor in them you know, kind of maintain the lead for a while. And while things kind of went back and forth heading into the uh, the third quarter, the Cavs would eventually go on to, you know, kind of mount a, a pretty high lead uh, towards the end of the game. With about five minutes remaining in the fourth quarter, the Cavs were up 111 to 98. 111 to 98. That's, what is that, 11, 12, 13 points off the top of my head. Not too great to do a math right now. Uh, yeah, 13 points. They were up 13 points with five minutes left to play, and somehow they still managed to lose. And a lot of that had to do with the play of Darius Garland down the stretch. And I think a lot of people still question how the dichotomy and how the, really the dynamic of this backcourt is going to play out. Because the thought process was when bringing in Donovan Mitchell – if you're going to cash in all your chips for a player of this magnitude, this player is obviously shown more from a historical standpoint and on the court and postseason. He's the guy. Donovan Mitchell is the best player at the moment on the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so a lot of people feel that he should be the one with the ball in his hands. But that's not always going to be the case. It's just really going to be about matchups. It's going to be about who is in the right place at the right time and who has the hot hand on the night. It's not as if Darius Garland had a bad night by a statistical standpoint. He just, you know, it just it just didn't work out all that well. Darius Garland, 19 points, 12 assists. That's that's pretty big time right there. The shooting numbers, you know, kind of were what they were. Eight to seventeen from the field, two of nine from range. Those obviously could have been better, but to say that he had a bad game would be to lie. Because all in all, in in all actuality, that is not a bad stat line. And his his stat line, really, his shooting numbers are not truly indicative of just how this game went. Because again. They had a 111 to 98 lead with five minutes left to play. And somehow, some way, they just couldn't get things done. They couldn't get the job done. I don't know. They just ran out of gas. I don't know if JB switched up the plan, but things just did not work out. And, you know, 
this, in my opinion, is a loss that you can walk away legitimately feeling pretty good because this is a game that the Cavs had in hand. They had this game in hand up to that point, and they should have won it, but they didn't. It happens. It is what it is. You know, far too often after a loss like this, especially after a winning streak, one of the longest winning streaks that we've seen in the while from this Cavs team, mind you, fans act like they don't know what it feels like to lose anymore. I don't get that. I understand, you know, with the way this game ended, and I've had a lot of people rationalize it, you know, um, over this over this last day or so um, following the game. It's not about the fact that they lost. It's about how they lost, and I understand that. But at the same time, we have to understand this is a marathon, not a sprint. You're not going to win every game. I know it sucks and it stinks to lose that way, but trust me when I say this. This is the this really is not the best that the Cavs have even played, and they're already eight and two. They haven't even begun to hit their stride yet. They're not even at full strength yet. Still haven't seen Ricky Rubio, so there's still a lot of you know dynamics at play here. There's still a lot of things for this young team to figure out. And they are well on their way doing that. And, you know, all the way up until that point in the game, they probably, you know, they, they, they continue to make play after play after play. They continue to play hard and hustle on their defensive end. Guys continue to do their jobs. They just couldn't put it away. And it happens in the NBA. Sometimes momentum shifts and you just can't get it back. And that is what have appeared to happen down the stretch of that game. You know, you say what you want about Darius Garland. You can put all the blame on him. I'm not. Guy is just in his third, fourth game playing beside Donovan Mitchell, and they're still trying to learn how to play together. They're still trying to figure shit out. And, you know, to a further point, Karis LeVert. I mean, you look at his stat line on the night, four points, six rebounds, five assists, two of eight from the field. That I believe is that is the lowest amount of shot attempts that he's taken this season. Don't quote me on that. I need to go back and look. But it is very clear. The eye test shows that a lot of these players are still trying to learn how to play along with one another. And Karis LeVert is no different from that. Having to go from um, secondary facilitator or ball handler to now third, fourth option on offense with the return of Darius Garland, he's still trying to figure out where he all fits into all this within the starting lineup, which – still leads a lot of people to believe that there could yet be a change made there with maybe Karras moving to the bench in a reserve role and Dean Wade uh, eventually possibly taking that starting role at the small forward position. A lot of things to, to think about here. Am I saying that is what should happen right now? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying a lot of people are still trying to figure out how and where their role is with this team and how to best do it. And that's very clear. This this is a team that is, you know, still very much young, still very much still trying to figure out how to work and coalesce with one another. And last but not least, in regards to this, this is a really, really good Los Angeles Clippers team. This isn't just some – uh, some trash ass team, you know, this isn't some lottery team. This is a team that a lot of people think could be a contender towards the end of the season. Uh, once they return to full strength. Now they did not have the, you know, the massive, 
um, <laughs> uh, the massive talent of Kawhi Leonard at their disposal last night, but they still had Paul George, who's a hell of a player himself, dropped 26 points on the Cavs. They still had Reggie Jackson, Vika Zubac, you know, Terrence Mann. These are all NBA players. These are all guys who have contributed in some form or fashion for uh, for a high-level team at some point or another. And, you know, they are coached by a very, very good coach, if not one of the top five best coaches in the league, in Tyron Lu. So you cannot discount that. Um, this very excellently coached team all around, and it's a big reason why – this 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 Cavaliers team was not able to put things together down the stretch to end up with a W. So that 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 kind of goes. You got to pay them a little bit of respect. It's, can't just go out there and, and and look at your opponent and and disrespect them. This is a very good Clippers team, and Cavs lost for a reason. They just they couldn't close things out here. But that doesn't mean that there weren't takeaways from this. Solid takeaways. Darius Garland appears to have full command of the offense here, um, you know, give or take a few mistakes down the stretch. Donovan Mitchell, even when he's not the primary initiator of offense, is fully capable of going out there and flamethrowing. He had 30 points last night, 10 of 15 from the field. This motherfucker had eight threes. This Cavs team is dropping threes at an unbelievable rate this season, probably more so than they have in any season in the past, uh, over the past couple of seasons. Eight triples from Donovan Mitchell. (laughs) That is the most in the starting lineup. Obviously, uh, you know, with not having too much spacing to begin with, but he had pretty much more triples than almost anybody else on the team combined. Uh, Kevin Love had four off the bench. Um, Dean Wade had two himself. J.D. Osmond had one. So that just goes to show you right there. Donovan Mitchell almost had eight. He, Donovan Mitchell had more threes by himself than pretty much the whole team. Uh, so he's highly capable, even though he's not initiating the offense on every single uh, possession. Uh, Evan Mobley was absolutely awesome, like I said. Um, 26 total points on the night, eight rebounds. Um, 12 of 18 from the field, just absolutely bananas production from him, even though he was a minus 20 on the night. And then you look at the bench, another very solid outing from six man of the year candidate already. Kevin Love, 17 points, eight rebounds, four assists. Again, four triples dropped. He was plus 16. Kevin Love is, is making this a continual thing. I do not hesitate to say right now that he was robbed for six man of the year last year, and I think he's still feeling that a little bit this season. So I think he's really gunning for that award, and I do not see that as something that is out of the realm of possibility. I think Kevin Love, if he does not win the six man of the year award this year, he will finish as a finalist yet again. Just a a great award to put on a very good Hall of Fame level resume. So. Hopefully, Kevin Love is able to finally get recognition for that this season. Just a lot of takeaways, you know, some good, some bad. But at the end of the day, the one thing that we all need to keep in mind here is that these Cavs through 10 games are 8-2. and two. This team is 8-2. and two. Time to chill out. Time to cut them some slack. Time to relax. Because if anybody 
sitting there right now is out there saying or predicted that this team would be eight and two after this stretch of games that they played to begin the season, you'd probably be lying to yourself. Even the most optimistic person out there, and I like to include myself among that bunch, did not predict an eight and two start, nor did I believe that they would start the season out uh, losing Darius Garland for five games and still ripping off eight straight wins. Very impressive wins at that. So we just need to cut them a bit of slack. We need to be okay because everything is going to be all right with this very young team. A team that many did not think would be contending to start the season, but much like the uh, their counterpart who they traded to acquire Donovan Mitchell from the Utah Jazz, they're doing very well too. Both of these teams makes me feel very good. Warms my heart to see Lowry Markin and Colin Sexton playing very good basketball over in Utah right now. And I feel the exact same way about the Cavs. I, as I've continuously said, did not know how to feel about the Donovan Mitchell trade at first just because of the pieces that were sacrificed. But he's washed all that away. He's made me feel very, very good about the prospects of this team this season as he has scored 30 points or more in seven games this season which is ridiculous production production that many people even his most avid fans probably didn't believe that he was capable of coming to this team on such a stacked roster it's just one of those things that you didn't see coming you didn't see happening this early in the season let alone at any portion of the season just because of the sheer amount of talent on this team and the the amount of players who would have the ball in their hands. So, you know, very, very interesting um, things to take away over this stretch. But by no means does last night's loss mean that this Cavs team has things to figure out. They just lost. It happens. It's one of 82 games, and if anything – Cavs should be damn proud of themselves, and we as fans should be proud of them as well. That's a hell of a start. When you're looking at the rest of the East in particular, you have Milwaukee right now as of recording this podcast, 9-1 first in the East. The Cavs are second in the East at 8-2. Celtics 7-3, last year's finals team. Hawks 7-3. We kind of knew they'd be there with the trade acquisition of – Jante Murray, the Toronto Raptors, very talented team who Cleveland lost to in opening night because of Gary Trent Jr. Always have to point that out whenever I can. Uh, Chicago Bulls at six and six. Indiana Pacers five and five. New York Knicks five and five. This is a very stacked East. So the Cavs should feel very, very good about where they're standing right now. Second in the Eastern Conference. So, you know, no matter what ends up happening over this next slate of 10 games, which is kind of how I like to take it, it's it's already a great start. It's already something that the that fans should really be looking at this team as a potential title contender. And I, I don't really think that there's any way you can dissuade that at this point, especially what they have shown over this opening stretch of games. When you see guys going off on any given night, you see Karis LeVert going off for 41 points a game. You see Donovan Mitchell dropping 30 plus nightly on your head. You see Jared Allen and Evan Mobley doing everything that they can out here. And you're getting production off the bench from Kevin Love, from Jetty Osmond, 
from Dean Wade, guys who just know their job, know their role, and know what to do and do it very well. I have one gripe in regards to this team right now. It is not necessarily a gripe at the team level. It's a gripe with the player. And right now, that is none other than Isaac Okoro, who, a guy, you know, I've continued to to ride for, a guy that I've continued to have confidence in. Um, it's tough right now for him. Yeah, I, I believe he played 17 or so minutes last night. And I... I think that the plan for him is to continuously start in that second quarter off the bench. And I think the opportunity for him to start outside of injury replacement is gone. I think it's, I think it's gone. I think he effectively has lost that opportunity this season. And that, that kind of bumps me out. But with that said at eight and two, I can't really be all that pissed off. Um, the, The thing that really bumps me the most, about this situation though with Isaac is that it seems that the opportunities are going to be dependent upon the game and dependent upon the matchup because although he played 17 18 minutes against the Clippers he only played six minutes against the Lakers and that's kind of how his minute totals have been throughout this season very very sporadic um just not a very encouraging thing to see out of a fifth overall pick and i continue to hope that it's not going to be something that lingers throughout this whole season and that he eventually figures it out on the offensive side of the ball but i don't know i i really don't and i know a lot of people are still saying that well, Isaac Okoro is not there for offense i get that but in order to continuously be a factor in, in any NBA game and on any NBA team, you have to be able to provide something on the offensive end. And Isaac Okoro is hit and miss on a lot of these nights. It's just one of these things that has to eventually play itself out one way or another. And I think we're seeing that right now. The biggest takeaway in regards to that is Isaac Okoro is a massively talented player. The thing is, Isaac Okoro is not the only talented player on the Cavs. And it, he isn't by far, you know, they're just a lot of, a lot of players on this team that are supremely talented. And JB is going to opt to play the players that he feels gives him the best opportunity to win. And I applaud him for doing that. And if that means Okoro gets less and less time, and that means the Cavs are still winning, I don't care. That's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. You know, I wish him the best i want him to continue to improve but until i see that i'm perfectly okay with the amount of time that okoro is seeing on the court and that that's i I really think that's the most apt conclusion that we can come to right now uh, based upon this 10 game stretch that being said let's take a look ahead here the Cavs take on the sacramento kings tomorrow at 10 p.m late another 10 plus o'clock start. I hate that being on the East Coast. Just absolutely terrible. Um, Cavs right now on the injury report still showcase Dylan Windler as being out as well as Ricky Rubio. Nobody listed for the Kings. This is not a Kings team that is going to roll over. So this is not going to be some pushover team. The Cavs are going to be able to go out there and just dominate. Although their record is at three and six, they're not as bad as their record indicates. And they're coached by Mike Brown, former Cavaliers head coach. 
Good to see him. Then the Cavs will take on the Golden State Warriors on Friday the 11th. Very box office showing. And I hate these West Coast trips because they're all late start times. Cavs played the Clippers at 1030. They play Sacramento at 10, and they're going to play Golden State at 10. Just all late starts. I hate that shit. Uh, That being said, if I had to choose a – if I had to select a record for the Cavs over that stretch of two games, I'm going to go – one and one. I think that they take Sacramento, and I think that they hey, they they drop one against the Warriors, uh, who are at four and seven, are still struggling themselves to figure some shit out. That being said, like I always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the It's Cavalier exclusive Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of said review to it's Cavalier 53 at gmail.com, and I'll personally invite you. You know the drill. Just want to take this time to say thank you guys for helping us continue to grow the channel. Wouldn't be here without you. We're certainly not the best Cavaliers podcast. We're not the most um, um, tapped in when we certainly are just fans at this standpoint. But I do appreciate you guys helping us continue to grow. That being said, go Cavs. Have a good night.